if you don't often find yourself singing and praising and thanking God, you don't know God because you cannot know God and respond in any other way. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part 10 of The Heart of Worship. Have you ever trembled before God? Well, that might sound like a strange response to God, but think about it. When was the last time you were overcome with awe and wonder at the majesty, greatness, and holiness of God, or the display of His goodness and love in Christ? Well, as we'll continue to discover today, worship is a response. It's a response to God and His self-revelation. And this response is one of humble submission, thankful praise and adoration, and awe and reverence. Let's join Tom Pennington right now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Turn to Psalm 95, verse 1. By the way, this psalm has, through the history of the church, been used as a call to worship because that is what it is. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. As one commentator said, here you see not only was the earth handmade, but it is hand-sustained. How do you respond to a great God and a great king like that? Verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. In other words, he's the king, the great king, and we are his subjects, and so let us humbly submit ourselves to him. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Humble submission is absolutely essential to true biblical worship. What that really means is that when you and I approach God, we do so with hearts that are willing to obey whatever he tells us in his word. It also means that in our hearts, we accept unconditionally whatever his providential decisions about our lives may be. Or let me put it simply, to come and worship God properly means that we must bow to his holy word and we must bow to his sovereign will. That's really what this means to come in humble submission. We bow to his holy word and we bow to his sovereign will. We must acknowledge that he is king and that he has a right to rule our lives. Now folks, without this basic attitude... Whatever worship activities you may involve yourself in, it is not worship. Because this is part of the heart and soul of worship. This is what the words mean, to prostrate oneself, to humbly submit yourself 
to royalty, to the king. Let me ask you, is that how you thought of your worship this morning? Is that how you're thinking now about even the teaching of the word of God? Do you have in you a heart that is eager to humbly submit to the truth, to learn these things and to put this into practice in your life, to respond to God like this? To truly worship is to have the spirit of humble submission. There's a second response that is always part of true worship to God. Not only humble submission, but secondly, thankful praise and adoration. Thankful praise and adoration. Again, we can see this in a non-theological setting. We can see this response. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 22, we, we read about Joab. It says, Joab fell on his face to the ground, prostrated himself, and blessed David the king. One response that accompanied Joab's worship, or in this case, because it's a human being, his prostrating himself before David, before the king, was he blessed him. He opened his mouth and spoke blessing to him. In the context of our response to God, it's called praise and thanksgiving and adoration. And that response is, listen carefully, that response is absolutely essential for true worship. There is no true worship without thankful praise and adoration. Certainly within the heart and often flowing out of the heart through the mouth in song or in words. Let me show you this in a number of contexts. Turn back to 2 Chronicles. I want to show you a couple of passages that really struck me this week. There are many of them in the Old and New Testaments. But let me just take you through a couple. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We looked at this briefly last week. Here you have Solomon and the dedication of the temple that he has constructed. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. There was this visible display of the glory of God, this brilliant, shining light that filled the house the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. That is, the temple was so overwhelmed by this visible display of God's glory that the priest couldn't even go in. Verse 3, all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and seeing the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped. And notice how worship expressed itself. And gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good, truly his loving kindness is everlasting. This is how worship always expresses itself, is in thankful praise and adoration. This is how to respond to the greatness and the goodness of God. In the same book, you see a similar response, Second Chronicles chapter 29 Verse 27, we fast forwarded now from the time of Solomon to the time of Hezekiah. The temple has not been appropriately used for many years. And Hezekiah restores that worship. Verse 27 of 2 Chronicles 29 says, Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord also began with the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. 
While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang, and the trumpet sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now look at verse 29. Now at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. Thankful praise and adoration is always connected to true biblical worship. It is one of the primary responses to the greatness and glory and goodness of God. When we turn over to the Psalms, we can see this same principle taught. Psalm 29, the psalm about the, the voice of the Lord in the storm. David writes in Psalm 29, verse 1, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord, and the New American Standard says, in holy array. Literally, it says, in the majesty of holiness. I don't think that's the priests or our holy array. I think it's God. So probably best to translate it, worship the Lord in the splendor or majesty of his holiness. Now notice here, because of the nature of parallelism and Hebrew poetry, that worshiping the Lord is the same as ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. It's reciting what makes God great and grand and magnificent and majestic and beyond our comprehension. Over in Psalm 66, we see the same point made by the psalmist. Psalm 66, verse 1, Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you. Now watch how this worship expresses itself. And will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. When we turn to the New Testament in a number of texts, we see the same principle laid down. One of those is in Romans 14 where Paul is talking about issues of conscience. And he inserts in there, don't judge your brother about these things, for we shall all stand, verse 10 of Romans 14 says, before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, there's worship, and how will it express itself? And every tongue will give praise to God. When we turn to the scene in heaven, in the book of Revelation, you see the same reality. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. By the way, there are several other passages in Revelation that flow the same way. What I want you to notice in in Revelation 4 is that true worship in heaven is characterized by an attitude of submission. They fall down before him. It's also characterized by an attitude of humility. Notice, they cast their crowns at his feet. In other words, they divest themselves of what would bring them glory because they want Jesus Christ and him alone to get the glory. And then in each case, 
through the flow of the book of Revelation, they then offer their praise, their thanksgiving, their adoration as an act of worship. To worship God is to proclaim to him and to others the worth and value of his glory. If you are not spontaneously responding to God with thanksgiving and with praise and with adoration, then you are not worshiping. Let me go a step further. If you don't often find yourself singing and praising and thanking God, you don't know God. Because you cannot know God and respond in any other way. Let me give you an illustration from everyday life. Think for a moment about life here in this world, about non-spiritual things. What non-spiritual, non-God-oriented activity do you most enjoy in this life? Now be honest with yourself. What in this world brings you the greatest joy and happiness? Perhaps it's your family, your spouse, your kids. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's some hobby that you have. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a place that you go every year and you just with great eagerness look forward to going to that place. Maybe it's a special activity or event that is sort of the main event on your annual calendar that you look forward to and you plan toward and you build toward. What is it that most excites you in this life? Whatever it is, I can guarantee you that you talk about it. In fact, you probably talk too much about it. And your family and your coworkers and your classmates, they may be sick of hearing about it. Why? Because you love and enjoy that thing, whatever it is. Well, the same holds true for God. If you really know who he is, if you've really come to enjoy the riches of his grace, if you've experienced the depth of his love, if you've seen just the fringes of his power, if you've been awed by the beauty of his holiness, if you've been impressed by his sovereign control of all things, then you will sing, you will give thanks, you will praise, you will adore him. You will tell God how wonderful he is, and you will tell others. You can't help yourself. It's the response to God. Whenever anyone encounters the true God, he or she always responds in humble submission, in thankful praise and adoration. And thirdly, he or she will respond in godly fear. In godly fear fear. We worship God when we respond to him with awe and fear and reverence. Again, both in Hebrew and in Greek, there are words for worship that underscore this crucial attitude that's involved in true worship. Both in Hebrew and in Greek, we could define the words this way. It means to stand in wonder and awe at the majesty and greatness of the infinite being who is God. In Psalm 96, verse 9, we read, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. To truly worship God is to be in awe of him. It's to tremble before him. Turn to Psalm 99. You can see this. 
clearly in the psalm the relationship between worship and this trembling spirit, this fear. Verse 1 of Psalm 99 says, The Lord reigns. There you have this picture of God as king, highly exalted. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim. There's his great chariot, this moving chariot of living beings called the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Don't just let the people tremble. At his presence, the whole earth shakes. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name, the name that inspires fear and awe. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Now watch verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. You see the relationship here in these five verses between worshiping God and trembling before him. We saw it even in the psalm that I read for you a few moments ago in our scripture reading of the morning. Psalm 2, verse 11 says, Worship the Lord with reverence, literally with fear, and rejoice with trembling. This is how worship responds to God. There is a humble submission, there is thankful praise and adoration, and there is godly fear. The same spirit and attitude is present in the New Testament. You see it in the people's response to Jesus. You also see it in Hebrews chapter 12. Turn there for a moment with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. The writer of Hebrews summarizes the new relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ, and he says, we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable, and the New American Standard says service. This is actually one of our words for worship, one of the Greek words for worship. By which we may offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God will not be taken lightly. You remember what we saw in Leviticus chapter 10, where God tells Moses, after he consumed Nadab and Abihu with fire, he says, by those who approach me, I will be treated as holy. God says, you better be afraid. You better tremble. It's not the abject fear of terror, although sometimes in Scripture you see people responding that way. That's why more often than not, when God appears, he's saying, don't be afraid, because they are afraid. But certainly the fear of awe and reverence. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, we read, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you. There is this inseparable relationship between worship of God and fear of God. True worship is always, always, always characterized by a sense of awe and reverence of who God is. Or to put it in the negative, irreverence is always the enemy of worship. A flippant attitude toward God or toward worship shows that we don't begin to grasp the reality of what we're really doing. 
This becomes, by the way, a good test, a test of churches. You can test a church of whether they're truly worshiping by whether or not these attitudes are present there. Worship styles vary, and in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with any of them. There's a traditional worship style, there's a contemporary worship style, there's a blended style like we have. But whatever the style may be, ask yourself if there is a clear sense among those who are leading and those who are participating in all that's done, a clear sense of awe and wonder and reverence for God. If it's not there, then I can tell you on the authority of God's word that whatever it is they're doing and however sincere their hearts may be, they are not worshiping. Because true worship always involves godly fear. And I don't mean they have to be somber. I mean there ought to be a sense that you are struck with that these people are, are themselves struck with the majesty of of God. But let's bring this truth closer to home, to our own hearts. Let me ask you, can you honestly say, now think about this, can you honestly say that you tremble before God? Are you ever overcome with awe and wonder at the majesty and greatness of God or the display of his goodness and love in Christ? This is how worship responds. This is how we respond automatically when we really encounter the true God. Worship is a response. It is a response to God and his self-revelation. And how is it then that a true heart of worship responds to God? It responds in humble submission, in thankful praise and adoration, and in awe and reverence. Whenever you and I are truly, truly worshiping God, those responses will always be present. And they provide a test for us of whether we're truly worshiping God. Now, with all of that in mind, we're ready to refine and complete the definition of worship that we began to put together last week. Let me give it to you. We now know what the responses should be. This is biblical worship. Worship is seeing and savoring the supreme value and worthiness of God and responding in humble submission, thankful praise and adoration, and godly fear. Let me say that again. Worship is seeing and savoring the supreme value and worthiness of God and responding in humble submission, thankful praise and adoration, and godly fear. Can you honestly say that your heart was filled with humility and submission to God as your king? Whatever it is you teach me, God, I want to do that. Whatever you bring into my life, I receive that. Did you respond with thanksgiving and praise and adoration? Did you do more than open your mouth? Did you let praise of God flow from your heart? Did you respond to him like that? If not, in spite of the fact that you're here, in spite of the fact that you've done what the rest of us have done, you have not worshipped God. Let me remind you that you can't work up these responses, but you will manifest them as you come to know and understand God as he really is, as he's revealed himself 
in his word. Luther was right. To truly know God is to worship him. Humble submission to him as our king. Thankful praise and adoration for his condescending love and grace. And then this awe and reverence that what he must be for our sins to have demanded so high a price for him to befriend us and to take us to himself. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 10 of The Heart of Worship. Tom will continue with part 11 on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.